Happy Easter, everyone. Welcome back to the 15 on the 15th, our bite-sized book club series featuring podcasts designed to help you digest short articles, no more than 15 minutes of reading, we promise. This 15-minute recipe for success is a pinch of insightful reading and a dash of engaging discussion that blends together research and best practices. My name is Jenny Dees, and I'm one of the coordinators of the ENL program at the University of Notre Dame. I'm excited to be joined today by my colleague, Claire Roach. Hi, everyone. And our special guest, Charlotte Perez. Hi. Welcome, Charlotte, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Charlotte is a graduate of the ENL Hernandez Fellows Program, a member of the ENL clinical faculty, and she serves as the resource teacher at St. Cecilia in the Diocese of Camden, New Jersey. And Katie is not with us today because she's at home snuggling her new son, Mark Joseph. He's just a little over a week old, and she misses all of you and wishes she could be here, but she's got important work to do at home today. And speaking of important work, we're going to discuss the topic of assessment today. This topic is loaded, and it's just a vast topic. It covers everything from formative assessments to summative assessments, standardized testing, and even grading. And given our time constraints and our desire to fill these podcasts with very practical strategies, we're going to be narrowing our focus to summative assessments and specific strategies that classroom teachers can use to more accurately assess their English language learners. To guide our conversation, we've selected an article from the Internet TESOL Journal titled Assessing ELLs in ESL or Mainstream Classrooms, Quick Fixes for Busy Teachers. Jenny, what do you really think about that title? (laughs) Well, to be really honest, when I read this for the first time, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like the implication that there was a problem to be fixed that isn't in line with the additive approach we so often talk about in working with these students. But to push back a little bit, uh, we decided to go with this article because um, other than the title, the tone is that you can make simple adaptations that can have a real impact on the extent to which an English learner can show you what he or she is capable um, of doing and what he or she knows. So this is a very can-do article. It gets straight to the strategies and uh, we think all of you that have read it probably appreciate that and if you haven't read it, um, I think you're going to look at these strategies and immediately recognize that you can make some simple steps to make assessment more accessible for your English learners. I think attainable strategies for busy teachers would probably have been a a more accurate title. So instead of those quick fixes, just like attainable strategies is more in line with the actual content. Absolutely. I love that. I'm just going to edit the title and send it back to the authors. No. (laughs) Um, But In line with those strategies, let's jump in and take a look at them. The article is packed with them. They're bulleted. They're easy to pull out. Um, What were some of them that resonated most with the two of you in terms of what you've seen work successfully in the classroom or what you'd recommend to teachers? I I think the one of the things that really jumped out at me is that these are definitely attainable. They are are those, those quick things that you can do. So I think as teachers, we do have so much going on and we don't want one more thing thrown at us. But all of these were really 
very small changes that you can do that don't just help your ELLs, but they help all of your students. So especially with me, with my special ed background, I look at things, what is something you can do that can help all of your students? And what are those just good teaching practices? So I really liked how they took pre-made tests and said, you can do this, you can do that, and you're good to go. So it's not starting from scratch, which is very exciting and definitely a stress reliever for me when you're looking at it. So I like that it took those pre-made tests and then said, you can change this or you can add that and it, it's not going to take you hours and hours to do it, but it's going to give you a better and more accurate assessment for all your students. So let's talk about some examples. I think some of the easiest things to jump into were the idea that um, ELLs deserve more time to be able to take a test. Yes. And usually that's very doable in a real classroom. Yes. Um, but one of, I think, the most important questions or suggestions that they give is, is really the first. The simple strategies prepare students to take the test. And that is... Um, that we teachers should spend just a few quick moments really taking a look at the test or the quiz before we administer it, trying to put ourselves into the shoes of our English language learners. What vocabulary might hang a child up? What format might be so inherently confusing that even if they know the answer, they might not understand what it is that the test is asking you to do? Mm-hmm. Claire, you've spoken about vocabulary in some of your other podcasts, and I think it's, it's definitely worth revisiting. The vocabulary on tests is so important because a lot of times it does not mirror what words we're using during our instruction. So if you're saying, tell me about this, but then on the test it says, explain the parts of. Well, that can really trip one of our ELLs up because it's not mirroring how we taught the content. So I've learned that it's very, very crucial to purposefully use the test vocabulary in your lessons, use it throughout the day, get your students used to the words that are going to be on the standardized tests. Because I've, I've been in situations where I know my student understands the question, they understand the content, but, but they don't know what, what the, what they're being asked of. They can't put it down because they don't know those critical words. They don't know compare contrast. Maybe you're using, you know, what's the difference. But if you use those words in all of your lessons, then they're like, oh yeah, I got this. So that actual doing vocabulary lessons on the test words, I think is, is very important. And I think your point also speaks, Charlotte, to the idea that um, the format that students encounter on tests and quizzes should not be a surprise. Yes. If you have a matching activity on the quiz, make sure the children have had the opportunity to do a couple matching activities, Absolutely. either for homework or through classwork. Um, you know, another simple strategy that they recommend that it's so easy for us to overlook and yet it's so important, to read out loud the directions. Why? Because very often the student might know the word because you've said it in class, mm -hmm. but might not recognize it in writing. So yes. for, to read the directions slowly, using a gesture here and there if it's helpful, to make sure the kids fully understand, and of course, 
when you're reading something out loud, you're giving them those directions in two domains. They get to read it and they get to hear it. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, this is not rocket science. And yet, as I look back to the test and the quiz that I gave last week in my class, I'm guilty of not using some of these strategies. So this, these are great reminders. In terms of directions and the academic vocabulary embedded within the test, I also really appreciated the comment made about using cognates. Mm -hmm. We talk about using them in instruction, but they specifically gave examples of cognates in Spanish and English that would be helpful in terms of test directions. Um, For example, instead of using the word talk, you might use conversation. Mm -hmm. Draw or illustrate. Well, illustrate is a great cognate. Um, in Spanish, I think they, they offer objective, purpose, occur, instructions, right, to be thoughtful about the words that we use. Absolutely. I also really appreciated how they gave very specific examples, and Charlotte, I think you alluded to this already, of, ex- of modifying existing tests. So you can take that test that's within your book, and if there's multiple choice questions, just removing one of the choices, making it a little bit easier. If there's um, a true or false, eliminating those tricky true or false Mm -hmm. that I don't know why, but it seems like we all like to put in there occasionally. Um, Making sure that if there's a fill in the blank section that there's a word bank provided or there's just clues within the context um, to help students. Make sure in general that the test is not an assessment of language, but actually a true assessment of content. Absolutely. Jenny, you know, we very often visit this topic when we go on the road for our professional development sessions. Um, Using labeling and pictures as an avenue for students to show you what they know about a topic, maybe in place of something that's very language heavy, like open-ended questions or um, essays. Yes. And with those modifications, I also wanted to touch upon, I found that there are two extremes that teachers often find themselves in, and one is not doing any modifications, that, that mindset where, well, we, they need to learn this and I'm not doing any changes. But then on the other side, it's teachers who don't really have a lot of practice in modifications and they make things too easy for their students, and we're not expecting our ELLs to obtain that higher rigor that that should be expected of them. So I have found some teachers, when they're doing the multiple choice, they might only give two choices for their students. And a lot of them, that's too easy for them. And then it just becomes a a guessing game, because then they have a 50% chance of getting it. So you don't want to eliminate all the options if that's not where they're where they're at. You should be expecting them to reach those high goals. The same thing with matching. If I want my students to know 10 terms, then I prepare them for those 10 terms, but I might break it up and have five matching, a break, and then five more matching. So they're not doing the 10 all together because that could be overwhelming for them looking at that format, which we talked, which is so important. So I'm still expecting them to reach that 10 word or 10 term goal, but I'm making the format easier for them to, to accept to it's more accessible to them that way. So you don't want to just cross because I've seen tests when my colleagues have been working on it. And, and I'm so glad that they're trying to do modifications. But if half the test is blocked out or, or taken off, 
then they're actually not assessing it and they're dumbing it down. And we don't want to dumb it down. We want to make it accessible. Thanks, Charlotte. I think that's a really important distinction. And I think that's an easy trap to fall into either one of those extremes. I'm busy and I can't do any of it. And I'm just, everyone should be held to the same standard. Or you start to really make things so accessible that they become too easy. So thanks for clarifying that and providing some guidance with that. So we've talked a lot about the book tests. And they're practical and many of us use them. But I want to throw a challenge out there for our teachers. I want to see if between now and the end of the school year, all of the teachers who have listened to this can take one of their traditional book tests and make it an alternative assessment. And this article provides some great ideas for forms of alternative assessments that you could use, such as journals, projects, oral presentations, portfolios, authentic assessments. These really give our ELLs an opportunity to demonstrate knowledge in diverse and non-traditional ways. And if we present these very thoughtfully, we can really give our ELLs an opportunity to feel very successful in our classroom. To springboard off of that, I use very few of the book tests, if any, in my class. But I start with the book test to give me an idea. So I will look at that test and then think what the publishers had in mind. And that kind of sparks the assessment that I then do with it. So again, I think it can be scary, especially for new teachers or if you are new to having ELLs, to start with nothing. So if you look at that book test and then you can think, all right, how can I make that more authentic? So you're not just pulling things out of the air and being expected to all of a sudden switch over to project-based learning without having any training or come up with a portfolio or a lab or some other kind of assessment with nothing as a foundation. So I like looking at that and then creating something that's more catered to my students. Because I don't use the same tests every year with the same grade because it really has to match the levels of my students. So I think it's good to start with something and then make it how, what kind of discussions have you used in your classroom? What would be the best examples for your students? What could they use in their daily lives that you can pull in and it makes it more familiar to them? And honestly, my, my students love it. I always use their names in tests and quizzes. They love seeing their names or something that might have happened in the classroom that they remember. You know, I, I think it's worth just taking a second um, in terms of how we take a step back to think about assessment in our classroom and specifically how it relates to our English learners. The primary question we should be asking ourselves is, what do we want our students to know? What have we taught them? And part of the problem with with book tests and the like, um, I agree with you, they can be very helpful in guiding us, but we really need to revisit what our objectives were throughout our unit and make sure that our our assessment matches the the objectives that we've set out for our students. And I'd like to just talk about very quickly some scenarios. Um, So for example, if I have taught my first graders that sentences start with capital letters and they end with periods, and I have taught all of my first graders this, and we've practiced it and we've encountered it in authentic literature, 
that is a realistic expectation for our English learners. This is something we've focused on. If, however, I have not spent a lot of time talking or helping my students learn subject-verb agreement, for example, and I see that my student gets hung up on a verb ending, that's an example of saying to myself, okay, this first is something I should work on with my student because he or she needs it. So using all assessment as formative, even if it's summative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But also saying, okay, this is an example of where his or her language barrier is sort of rearing its head on my assessment. But this wasn't what I was looking to see if my child knows. I'm going to help my student learn this. Um, And I think that also speaks to to how not only we grade but mark up these assessments. So, you know, I always like to joke with my students, if I correct your paper, it shows that I know that English skill. But if you correct it, then it shows me that you know it. So just, you know, not going crazy with red pens and saying, listen, I didn't take a point off for this because this is what was not what I was looking for. What I was looking for is if you that you recognized what such and such means. But if I say, listen, I just wanted you to notice you wrote he walk. Right? How do we say that in English? What's what what do you is there a problem here where let's find it together and fix it together. So being able to use those assessments, not only as an assessment tool, but as a teaching tool. Absolutely. That cycle, right, that we teach and then we assess and those assessments inform our instruction. Um, I just wanna thank you both. I think these have been some amazing points. Before we close, is there anything else that you wanted to share that jumped out that we didn't have a chance to speak about yet? Oh, there's, there's just, there's so many, I, I love talking about assessment and there's, there are so many things, um, but I, I think we, we touched upon a lot of the cores. Mm-hmm. Okay. Claire and Charlotte, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your expertise and your stories. I'm truly much more excited to go back and think about assessment in my classroom and I hope that our listeners are too. For all of our listeners, If you are passionate about ensuring that culturally and linguistically diverse children and families thrive in our schools, we invite you to learn more about what we do in the ENL program by visiting our website, enl.nd.edu. I know I speak for everyone on the ENL team when I say our mission here is to help support your schools and the wonderful work that you're doing to open doors wide. to the great linguistic and culturally diverse populations that we have here in the United States. And if you want to gather more research or practical tips on how to help these children and their families, please subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to send us your feedback. We love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or email us directly. Many blessings on your important work.